Welcome to Rejoicing with Bella, a series of podcasts exploring and celebrating the different facets of female sexuality and the way it affects our lives. I'm your host, Bella Heesom. I'm an actor, writer and theatre maker, and I'm currently developing a show called Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Vulva, The Young Woman Applauded Herself. In the process of my research, I've had lots of fascinating conversations about female sexuality, and I have touched upon lots of topics that I won't be able to include in my show. So I decided to explore them in a series of podcasts. This is the first one. Thank you for joining me. Today, my guest is Naomi Sheldon, who I would also describe as an actor, writer and theatre maker. Do you have different labels that you like? I'm, I'm now sort of like officially writer-performer. Writer-performer. Okay, good. <laughs> but that feels weird, performer. It makes me feel like I should be in the circus or something. <laughs> yeah. Sort of am. <laughs> sounds a little bit jazz hands. It does, doesn't performer. it? Yeah. Actor and writer. Naomi has written and performed <laughs> a wonderful play called Good Girl, which... Well, I need to ask you really how you would like to have it described because for me one of the themes that I inevitably find fascinating in it is the emergence of sexuality and sexual identity and the relationship with that. But it feels like it's a very emotional story about somebody growing up and not specifically just about sex. Do you have a tagline? I'm going to tell you the tagline and then I'd like to talk about it (laughs) because I feel like it's... That, it's interesting, isn't it? The elevator pitch. Uh, I had a lot of difficulty with it. Um, so I'd say it's so a Darkly Comics solo show about uh, growing up in the 90s, big emotions and um, and witchcraft. <laughs> or and um, and the pressures women feel to fit in and that, that kind of stuff. Um, which is like all true. <laughs> um, but I think probably doesn't do the show it's quite its justice you know, what what it really is about. Because it is, it's, com- it's a complex show in the sense that it deals with a lot of themes. Uh, because, um, I mean, once I started, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, um, I couldn't uh, not include them as I went along. It felt like quite an organic, natural process writing it. Um, but when you start trying to explain, like, when you're flyering someone or trying to sell a show to someone, saying like, well, it's, um, it's really about the internal emotional battle, um, you know, of what's actually going on, like big emotions, and then how you actually have to um, keep things quiet and behave like a good girl in society. Like, it just suddenly gets not very sexy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because I think that there's a perhaps a reluctance generally to say that a show or any kind of piece of art, a TV show, a film, a mm. book, is about women's feelings or about feelings full stop it's a hard sell to say that something is about emotions because people think that it's um it's (laughs) wishy-washy and it's true it's it's harder to pin down uh, stories about emotions because it's an internal landscape which is why i suppose my show goes into describing quite tangibly what emotions feel like like a burning ball for example or feeling like talking about um you have to start to find metaphors, analogies. So talking about skin, for example, feeling like you're coming up, your skin seeping out, things seeping in. That was one of the things that I found um, most compelling about your show, actually, is that visual language for emotion. The ability to to visualise that enables you to kind of engage with it in a different way, I think. Um, that it doesn't feel wishy-washy, it feels like a concrete physical experience, <laughs> which it obviously is. But it's... I I think that's interesting that the thing you were saying that it's about internal conflict because I think that's something that I've been exploring I explored in my first show my world has exploded a little bit and I'm also exploring in the show I'm developing at the moment and the it's a hurdle in terms of storytelling because the traditional storytelling models are based on external conflict between characters or you know in a situation and so to explore that internal conflict um, you kind of have to find your own way of doing that your own language yeah I felt like yeah it was interesting I I ended up feeling like the emotional story although for me is the heart of the piece uh, of Good Girl I felt like I had this (laughs) it had to be the texture and the theme and the way that I got there rather than the story itself I ended up having to you know be very careful about how I crafted the story in inverted commas the plot which for me is sort of less interesting <laughs> although yeah. of course it is that's the th- it has to be interesting it's, it's you know it's a, it's a journey that you're going on but really the way that you're getting there is the, the texture the the emotional 
that I suppose that's 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 your boat. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess in a way, I think with all good stories, the reason that we care about the story is because we care about the emotional journey mm. that the character or characters mm. are going on. Mm. So it wouldn't really matter mm. what was happening externally if it wasn't affecting them internally. Yeah. Um, but I think that perhaps I don't know why it would be, but it feels like it's a more female focus to look inside yourself and. Mm to look to have that conflict mm. one of the things that i've been exploring with my current show is the conflict between our animalistic instinct well instinct and the pressures from society outside and in particular mm. the male gaze and the yeah. influence of that and the way that that shapes how you think about yourself and how you see yourself yeah and i feel like that's something that comes up in your show as well. Oh, it's absolutely about that, 100%, because that's how we grow up. It is about the male gaze, 100%, and how we internalise that gaze, definitely. And so I think perhaps there is more of a of a kind of a tendency for there to be that conflict inside women, because I guess, obviously, the male gaze is a very kind of simplified version of the way that any actual man might look at the world, sure. but it's still more likely to resonate with a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and their kind of natural perspective mm. um, because that's where it's come from and so the fact that that's what dominates culture is more likely to mean that men can identify with what they're seeing yeah. and women are going oh uh, that's so kind of that's creating a little conflict inside me oh, that, yeah. because I'm trying to marry that with yeah. my experience yeah. and my, my perspective. Yeah. I, I would call that playing the game. I yeah <laughs> Uh, I've been exploring this a lot recently in some of the uh, way I've been developing uh, the show for, for Scream and uh, I'm trying to come up with a definition of good girl and there's various, various things <laughs> that um, I put out a Facebook post recently and so many people got back with all the different these adjectives, quiet, um, kind, smiling, um, taking up very little space, etc., etc. About what um, I suppose the male gaze, gaze shows w women ought to be. But for me, it's ultimately it's to play the game to be to to internalize that male gaze. Because if you're good at it, if you're good at internalizing it, at being the things that um, you feel um, you're taught. Uh, men want or the, the structure. It's weird saying the word patriarchy, isn't it? I feel like it's gonna like everyone's gonna run away. <laughs> like <laughs> the patriarchy is, is it's not a very sexy word, um, but but it but it's a structure that exists. So the the better you are at playing the game within this structure, the better you can get along in life to a certain degree. Yeah. And I feel that that's where that conflict comes up inside because you know you want to take up space you want to be loud you want to talk back you want to do what the fuck you want what, or whatever it is that you want to do and then you're being told that oh but to to succeed to be good to be approved of to have desired qualities you must be xyz um and so i feel that 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 then that's when you get this internal conflict of wh what you're told you need to do to succeed and what maybe potentially you really want to do yeah one of the things that i've realized in exploring how to kind of write about sexuality and things is that it's really tied up with identity in a broader sense. So my sense of self is sort of inextricably linked with how I think of myself sexually. And so I found that actually, for example, identifying as someone who is uh, kind of clever and intellectual and f has, has sometimes felt incompatible with identifying with someone who is sexual mm. uh, that there's this kind of brain body divide mm. of like I exist in my brain and I'm very mm. thoughtful and I have very interesting opinions and lots mm. of things to say and I want you to take me seriously and therefore I don't want you to look at my breasts thank you yeah yeah the, the, and so there was that I felt this conflict as I kind of de developed quite young and would get the attention that all the, all the girls get from people wolf whistling on the street and things yeah. and people just talking to your chest and in my head that I kind of found a connection between you're objectifying me physically and therefore not thinking of me as an intellectual equal and not listening to what I have to say yeah and so therefore I'd rather you just ignored my body 
and spoke to me as a fellow human. Yeah. But that that became sort of the necessary requirement. In yeah. order for you to speak to me as a fellow human, you need to ignore my body. Yeah. And obviously that produces problems when you then want to engage physically with somebody and you need to be in your body. Yeah. If you've gone, I am not my body. Don't look at my body. My body's not who I am. Mm. My identity is up here in my brain. Um, then that can kind of cause a problem. And I feel like there are a lot, that's maybe sort of particular to me, but there are lots of dichotomies there where girls are encouraged to choose one thing or the other. Mm. Um, And, you know, I feel like good girl, bad girl Mm. is one, right? Mm -hmm. And so some people embrace being a bad girl. And Mm. it's a little bit what you were talking about earlier in terms of I'm going to be loud and angry and I'm going to have all the sex and I'm not going to be... And you're you're kind of forced to jump into one box or another Mm. box. Totally, yeah. Well, it's your Madonna whore dichotomy, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And that idea that it's difficult because I personally m- mostly wanted to opt for the good girl. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to be approved of and praised. <laughs> you, you have a little moment in your play, you say, good girl, somebody's calling you a good girl, it all feels mm. nice. Mm. And that there is something nice about that that kind of being approved of yeah and, and that's that internalization of those structures i'm talking about again i think like i've always struggled <laughs> with wanting to be the kick-ass i don't give a shit what the people think about me i'm gonna make my own identity i'm gonna be who i want to be but please like me while i do it yeah you know so actually you can't fit in either camp successfully yeah um i've i felt like i've oscillated between the two good girl bad girl without fully being successful at either because of this desperate need to please to be praised yeah um which is also what's on my show at the end it's like i still want to be a good girl i still like it i i, I still and I, I hate myself for it but i still need that because that's how i've been taught to feel how i can be loved yeah um and equally i want to reject it but rejecting it is lonely one of the things that I've kind of come up against is realising that there's a danger in defining yourself against those expectations as well because you still end up being shaped by those expectations yeah. <laughs> by going, right, well, I'm going to rebel against that. Yeah. Um, and that actually uh, you've, you've kind of... Sometimes I feel like I've sort of been tricked into accepting the the definitions you know that there's an idea i don't know if you've come across of, of framing the debate so mm. for example um with the debate around abortion in the states mm. the there's pro-life mm. and there's pro-choice mm. obviously nobody wants to be like anti-life because mm. that mm. doesn't sound like a good position no. <laughs> um <laughs> so you have to frame it in in a way which kind of works for you and i feel like a similar thing sort of has ends up happening sometimes where I go, well, I don't want to be the kind of weak, compliant, Mm. pretty, you know, empty-headed sort of little girl that you want me to be. Mm. So I'm going to be fierce and I'm going to be strong and Mm. I'm going to be... And actually, I think what I ended up doing, especially as a teenager, was going, I'm going to be like the boys. Mm. I can be strong Mm. and I can be aggressive and I have every right to be those things. And of course, I do have every right to be those things. Mm. But then what ended up happening is that... I didn't allow for the nuance Mm. of also wanting to be soft sometimes or vulnerable sometimes. Well, it hardens you, doesn't it? That kind of, when you throw yourself into the opposite, it hardens you and actually you you lose your vulnerability. And vulnerability, I think, is really important and is a form of strength. (laughs) Yeah, and especially in the context of kind of, you know, sex and sexual relationships, actually, I think to have sex without opening yourself in any way without making yourself vulnerable in any way can feel quite empty yeah that, that, that it lacks that kind of human connection yeah which you... is exactly what i suppose my my, my story is in, in 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 my my show which is where which is i mean we, we grew up together so i mean you, you know about me growing up but um you know i i felt very strongly as a teenager that i was being told that i to be good if, until a certain until a certain age. When I, I, think, I seem to remember, probably on my thirteenth birthday, like when I went to sleep as a twelve-year-old, thinking like, I do hope when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be feel like a grown-up. And then I woke up on my thirteenth birthday, and no joke, it's like I'd done a fucking spell. <laughs> I I woke up and felt palpably different, and I felt angry, <laughs> and I felt like I don't want to be this this sweet um 
compliant girl anymore. I, I, I need to be, I need to reclaim my body. I need to be what I need to be now. And the only way I felt able to do that was to throw myself into, um, I suppose, what pop, pop culture was telling me to do. <laughs> you were trash and, like, and the Kelly Brook on people's posters was telling me to do, you know, like, just be sexy, have sex, reclaim my body. I can do what I want with it, which is, you know, completely opposite of the quiet, compliant girl that we're talking about. But equally is... Is, is harder somehow and isn't necessarily about looking about what your needs are at all it's just about being strong and fuck everybody else and yeah that, well, that and kind it's still of reacting against something isn't yeah, it which exactly. just feels inherently negative that yeah. you go well i i what about starting from a kind of just a quiet still place in me and going what would i like Mm. What would the world be like mm-hmm. if it met my needs and desires? And, you know, what would be my ideal scenario? One of the things I realised in the process of um, writing what I call it Wondrous Vulva for short. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was that I'd found myself in a situation where I didn't know what I wanted. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just... Because I've always been um, very lucky in the sense that I've always felt quite sort of empowered yeah. and demanded respect and everything but I'd still allowed my ideas around sex to be shaped by society's expectations so okay what so one really good example is that um I've been in a long-term relationship for a long time and there's the idea that you're supposed to have sex at a certain frequency you know so you read articles and they say oh in successful relationships people have sex at least twice a week or whatever the thing is and that then framed the discussions that I would have with my partner. You know, yeah. oh, well, what he would like to have sex more often. Do I not? And then it's taken me so long to realise that I don't care how often I have sex. Mm. That's actually not the question that is important to me. Yeah. That's not the thing that I'm interested in. Like There are other elements of the sexual experience and having a sexual relationship which are far more significant to me. Mm-hmm. And so by allowing the you know the way i even thought about it to be framed in that way I was like well i don't know how often i want to have sex you know i don't how many times a week would be my ideal i have no idea and it's because that that isn't how i would define my ideal yeah <laughs> if that makes sense yeah and that i feel like there are so many examples of that that's one small thing but you know even thinking about what you would like to do in the bedroom well maybe sometimes i would like to just be stroked, you know, <laughs> and not do oh my any God, of wouldn't, the basics. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> wouldn't we all just sometimes like to just be intimate without actually having sex? Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. do feel that that is like a common, common thing. Like I don't know about you. Like it's interesting talking to you about um, sex today because I feel like it's something that I used to be t- talk about a lot with my mates growing up, and really in the past maybe eight years maybe ten it's just not a conversation that happens anymore i don't know if that happens with you or not but we like i used to know the size of everyone's dicks like everyone's partner like i used to know i wanted to sometimes like tap people's boyfriends on the shoulder and be like i know that you don't go down on her so you need to start doing this <laughs> like, i felt like i knew people's sex lives and now since you know people were getting older and uh, people are getting married and long longer same relationships suddenly like the loyalties have changed and it's it feels like a betrayal to your partner to talk about Mm. sex i don't do you do you have you found that yeah it's funny i think that's such an unhelpful idea isn't it that it's a betrayal and i understand where it comes from and of course there's having respect for your partner and maybe the detail of how big somebody's dick is isn't something that other people need to know but I feel like there are other more nuanced conversations that would be really helpful to have um I think my experience has been different from yours because I was in sort of (laughs) long-term relationships from the time I was 16 so I didn't do the sort of dating playing the field gossiping about somebody who who I didn't feel loyal to essentially in that way so for me, what's happened is that over the past year, year and a half of kind of researching this play, I've had loads of conversations about sex that I hadn't had yeah. before. Um, but I, I feel that those conversations when I was uh, growing up, and I wouldn't say that they were, it, it doesn't feel like gossiping. I feel like it was, they were really, it was important ways to open up with my fellow girlfriends to talk about 
what we wanted actually mm. and like oh well that felt nice when he does this or oh he does that and it's terrible or whatever it is and it felt like it was an open frank discussion closest to I suppose when you're sort of talking about that quiet place about thinking about well, what do I want which I think we very rarely do actually there feels like there's no time space I don't know there isn't a platform for that it feels like at the moment well, for me anyway and I felt that that was the closest to that I've ever come to yeah. To, sitting in a group of girls and talking about what works for us and what doesn't. That does sound like a r- really positive conversation to be having. Yeah. I think it's nice. I think that that's really lovely that you felt that kind of supportive environment. I think sometimes, you know, especially in teenage circles, there's a lot more kind of um, fronting that happens. So you have yeah. to pretend to know more than you do, or you have to pretend that it was great when it wasn't, or. Um, oh. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, there was so, so many of us were all so much. I remember it's, it was the first time I suppose I properly learned that oh it's okay not to enjoy sex it's normal um and, and I don't think this is a good thing at all but um being very young and speaking to girls who were older than me saying like oh yeah just close my eyes and just really hope it so you know he's done with it quickly <laughs> it's over quickly and I remember that really strongly in my head first hearing that being like oh okay so that's the norm then I yeah, guess. and there's, that's double-edged, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it mm. strikes me that it's really useful to receive the message that you're not broken. It's not you. That yeah. thi- that thing that was happening isn't inherently pleasurable. Well, that's before I was even it. having sex. So it, so it was really shocking to me. Right. Whereas I, I, But I think that's also a really <laughs> dangerous and depressing message for, yeah. for girls to receive, that it's normal to just not experience, but mm. to keep putting up with yeah. it, essentially. That and that's to aim for it, of you. to still try to get it. <laughs> yeah, why <laughs> on earth would you be aiming for that? Yeah. Mm, I guess because it was a form of currency and it was part of what I was talking about, about that whole, I'm not being quiet and compliant. I'm being bold and free, even if it means I'm not getting what I want, actually, or I will never know because I'm putting on an act. Um, God, we're broken. <laughs> we were broken <laughs> but it's interesting that thing as well of that kind of putting on an act I think um, that one of the things that struck me I now I kind of I feel nervous even referencing Jermaine Greer these days sure. because she's become such a controversial figure um, yeah. in kind of modern feminism yeah. but I only read uh, The Female Eunuch recently and it is obviously dated but there are is also this, I think, really compelling idea at the centre of it. I'd never previously thought about what the title meant. Um, The idea of being a eunuch, obviously, uh, for a man, meaning that you have been literally physically kind of cut off from the source of your sexuality, if you Mm. like, and sort of gutted almost in that Mm. way. And there's this idea that she's putting forward, which is that women have been cut off in the same way but rather than through a physical procedure through um society's kind of pressures so basically we are taught to completely kind of disconnect from any feral animalistic sexual kind of instinct and instead to perform a femininity and a sexuality Mm. which is shaped by the male gaze so you go right so okay to be sexy is to wear these things or move my body in these ways or to put this makeup on or to you know to contort myself into the shapes that society tells me are sexy Mm. and I reflecting on kind of you know my journey sort of through sex and enjoying sex I think that there was a time when I did that and it sort of worked like you know you can put on some sexy lingerie and you can in your mind be evoking or mimicking those images that you see of sexy women in the media what you know whether that's kind of well maybe i know you're sure you talk about madonna or mm. beyonce now or whatever mm. and you can then have a really positive fun sexual experience mm. whilst doing that mm. but that also can become a trap because you're trying to fit into a mold that somebody else has made instead mm. of just going where would my drive take me? Yeah, that's like, I think that's third wave f- feminism all over though, isn't it? <laughs> Not to just dismiss it, but it feels like that was what we grew up with. That's what third wave feminism was like. You can be what you want to be. You can be feminine, you can reclaim this. But, and, and that, of course we can, of course. Of course, that's great. That's the whole point, it's choice. That's the whole point. Um, but what there isn't and what there hasn't been, and I don't know what the answer is because I still feel there isn't quite that, yet is a space to work out what we actually want yeah and you know what i mean 
I think that's the way forward. And I don't know how it can come about. Because, you know, but now my friends and people are married and, you know, in these long-term relationships now, but it's like there isn't space to explore anymore. And of course that's not true, but it feels like that. And the time for experimentation is over somehow. Um, They're meant to know what they want now. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been kind of exploring in that is trying to create a space um, that is... I suppose free from um, those ideas that we've grown up with, or that's probably impossible, but to at least acknowledge what those influences are so that you can slightly step back from them and kind of separate your identity from them in a way, if you like. Mm. So there's this amazing book called Come As You Are by Mm. Emily Nagoski, who's this um, American kind of scientist and sex educator. And she has this analogy of the garden of your sexuality. And she talks about how the ideas that we have about sex are seeds that are planted by our family, our friends, our educators, our society at large. And um, we usually don't have much of a choice over what seeds are planted, but we might have a choice over whether we choose to continue to nourish those plants once we've become aware of that's the situation. And I found I find this this a really constructive way of thinking about it because it allows me to go this is this thing which is part of me and who I am. These ideas that I have internalised, but also to take a step back from it and evaluate them without kind of judging myself or feeling shame about things. So going, yeah, actually I have. I've received you know, the idea that female genitals are gross because boys talked about how they smell of fish in the playground mm. and you know there's these various things and I've been told that you know I need to remove all of the hair from them and th- these kind of things and I go it's useful to be able to step back mm. and go okay that's a message I've received mm. now I can decide whether or not I want to hold on to that mm. or whether I want to let go of it mm. and it's a difficult thing to do it's a long process it <laughs> is like like totally like for example <laughs> I <laughs> I uh I wax, I wax my armpits, and uh, so I don't like shaving them. And I sort of kept forgetting to get them done. And, and I noticed, oh, I need to get it done, I need to get it done, I need to get it until I had armpit hair again. <laughs> and it wasn't like crazy, but it was like, you know, going to yoga, I felt a bit embarrassed. And then I suddenly realised that, because I felt lazy, like, oh, I haven't looked after my personal hygiene. And then... And then I started to feel like, hold on, my laziness has turned political. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn this into a political thing. I feel great. And I started to feel quite smug. I was like, I'm a brilliant feminist. I've forgotten to wax my armpits. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but, and I loved it. I, I was feeling quite good about it. But I couldn't get away from the feeling that I felt a bit disgusting. I kept having to apologise to my husband, like, oh, I hope you don't mind, I still haven't had them done. And, you know, totally aware of what I was doing, but it felt like a reflex, doing my yoga, some of the positions, hoping that the instructor wouldn't see my arm. Please don't look at my armpits, don't judge me. Um, and I got them, I got them waxed yesterday. <laughs> and oh. I, and I've, I, because I can't, I can't get rid of that voice in my head. I wonder if I've, I have watered, to use your analogy, watered that seed of what attractiveness is or what is ugly yeah. for so long now. It's so internalised. I was ashamed of my own... I'm ashamed of my body. Right. Well, I have a tip for you. Oh, okay. okay. Because yes. I similarly... Uh, I, well, I just shaved. I didn't wax. I'd stopped shaving my armpits. Yeah. Um, and I've now had full-on armpit hair for quite a long time. And I was more aware of the kind of the political aspect of, of mm. it from the outset. Mm. And Although I, I would have to say, sorry, but I yeah. do feel like subconsciously I was too. Right, okay. Because yeah. I don't think I would have let it go on that. I would never in the past have let it go on that long. Yeah. So I think there was a part that was like, yeah, I'm just going to let it grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. But currently, yeah. Um, but what one of the things that I did, which made a huge difference, was to seek out images of women with body hair mm. that were sexy. Mm. So I literally googled yeah. um, 70s nudes yeah. and there are women with huge bushes and loads of armpit hair yeah. and they are specifically photos of be- women being sexy, sexy women, you know, yeah. like, and I also kind of just googled, I don't know, well, armpit hair on women is sexy and, and found blogs and things of people who kind of, who th- held this opinion yeah. and that made a real difference and I think this is the thing is that we 
we think that these ideas of what is attractive mm. are, I don't know, neutral or universal or something. And of course they're not. No. It reminds me of, you know, uh, the the speech in The Devil Wears Prada about the blue cardigan. The fact that so, so so the you know the Vogue editor yeah. gives a speech saying that you think you chose that because you like the colour blue, but actually chose it because this designer at this time decided to, you know, have a collection that featured this and then it trickled down onto the high street and then and blah 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 blah. And basically you think this is your personal taste but that has very much been shaped by the mm. fashion community mm. you know even though you've been unaware of that yeah. process happening so even if you're not following fashion you're being influenced by it so we have to choose to influence ourselves in different ways we have I to choose so. to surround ourselves with other picture with other images that's it, interesting it genuinely changed the way i looked at it mm. that i went actually I quite like the way that my pubes and my armpits sort of are like a matching set. And they, they work well together. Aww. And it, it looks kind of natural. And, you know, yeah. somehow I, I managed to kind of reconfigure yeah. that and go, actually, I think this is sexy. Yeah. Rather than, this is gross and unsexy, but I'm going to do it to make a statement. Because that's not sustainable. If you feel shit about the way you look, then of course, why and, should you? But, you then, but then equally, you get it waxed and you feel cross. I feel resentful. Right. So I, I can't, I'm not winning either way. <laughs> and that's moment. the thing. Like, I, I, I'm always very reluctant um, because for me, choosing to grow out my, my hair has been a really positive thing. But I'm also aware that you do get this kind of hierarchy of feminism. Like, I'm a better feminist than you because I've got... And I don't want to, no, you know, contribute to that because I think there are enough voices telling women what they're doing wrong and what's oh, wrong with their yeah. bodies and how oh, they should yeah. behave. <laughs> we don't so, need to join that. <laughs> you know, absolutely do what you like. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, I I wouldn't say that I'll never wax again. Mm. You know, I, I got my pubes waxed for my honeymoon, which is a terrible cliche, but it was like... A different thing which I enjoyed yeah. but for me it's a bit like I have this thing where I do most of the cooking in my household I'm married I do most of the cooking because I like cooking mm. and my husband doesn't just tends to work out but I have made it very clear to him that he is never allowed to assume that I will make dinner mm. he is never allowed to take that for granted yeah. yeah and I feel similarly like I might choose to get rid of my body hair or I might not you have to be fine with it either way. Yeah. And I was that was one area where I was different from you in that I didn't apologise. And then I don't I don't think until I'm having like a Lady Chatterley's other moment and he is threading bluebells through my pubes <laughs> when I feel fully accepted. Well I'm that's like, what you need to make happen then. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> I just don't I just I'm just so into I've so internalised those structures. I've I am furious about it really with myself and that's that internal conflict again but that's the key I think is that that I think like I said it doesn't matter really whether you have pubes or not what matters is how you feel about it if you if it genuinely makes you happy then that's fine if you feel a bit furious mm. if it's making you angry that's a problem right so so it's about finding your own solution to that yeah um whether that's looking at 17s nudes which i would recommend i think that's a really <laughs> interesting technique i haven't <laughs> i haven't thought about that but but look but surrounding myself there's a there's a big poster on the tube at the moment it's a it's an advert for a uh, for an art gallery and it's a painted nude and you can see she's got her arm back and all these lovely curves and then you can see the kind of the shadow of her armpit hair and I walked past that only yesterday and was like oh see she has it <laughs> it's too late <laughs> I'd been de <de-haired. laughs> I I think the thing that that kind of bothers me most about this stuff is not any individual woman's choice about what to do with her hair but the the fact that a situation has arisen where the way that your body naturally is is abnormal yeah that i find that just yeah. inherently a bit disturbing yeah like with all them fem fresh washes and all of that yeah nonsense <laughs> like you need to sort out your vagina i read this great blog i feel bad because i can't remember who wrote it now it was years ago but a, this a woman who had like grown out her body hair and was on the tube and a little girl mm. said to her like why have you got hair under your armpits and she said um oh hair grows in all women's armpits well you know once they're older like once yeah. you're grown up you'll you'll grow hairs up she said no it doesn't it doesn't grow in my mummies and she said yes it does but she removes it and the little girl turned to her mum and said mummy why do you remove it yeah. and it's like in that very short interaction i was like yes 
that's what the question should be and it's fine if you do and if you have an answer you can yeah. say I remove it because I like it feeling smooth that's fine yeah. but that should be the question not why have you got hair yeah, totally. well I've got hair because it grew there <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why yeah 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 um, I do feel like I need to at some point like tally up the costs of all my hair removal well that's the other thing do you yeah. know what I mean like I do feel it's a bit of a tax on being a woman isn't it <laughs> It really to is. add to the tampon makes tax. me quite cross. Doesn't make me cross, but yeah, a slave to it still. To get back to this idea of sort of how we can figure out what we want mm. and start from well, as close to neutral as possible, I suppose. One of the things that I've found interesting was this is part of what I think I've discovered in the creative process of writing my play and I think that you had a similar experience whereby you start by trying to express something which is inside you and actually finding ways of doing that and it feeling quite good and quite truthful mm. and then going this doesn't seem to fit the narrative structures that I've been taught yeah. this doesn't seem to have the right sort of story arc it doesn't seem to have the right sort of shape how can I make it right yeah and, and there's a lot of guilt um, with that as well. And feelings of sort of inadequacy, like yeah. maybe I'm not a very good writer or maybe I don't know yeah. how to do this properly. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I think we both kind of realised is that the doing it properly and the right structure were kind of inherently masculine in oh, lots of yeah. ways. Definitely, definitely. Which is all about... So when I did my reading of, of um, Gugog, when I f first started it, not in its final form people came up to me you know gave me some really good advice which was really useful but they were saying like you should look at your structure and have a look at um joseph campbell's um the hero's journey and so i looked at those sort of 12 steps whatever they are and was like oh it does not fit <laughs> i cannot write a story and my mum uh, at the time i was telling i was telling my mum like oh, what am i gonna do this is terrible she's a new writer and she was um doing a talk on this panel about um alternatives to the hero's story uh, which has been made by Maureen Murdoch, who did the heroine's journey, heroine story. And she started telling me the different points. And my jaw dropped because uh, my story was the heroine's story, heroine's journey. I was like, what a bloody relief. Like, I've written something that is an actual form. And it came from inside me. It came naturally. It's a natural form. I'm doing a natural like we all are as humans and a natural storyteller and it's okay yeah but even now and so sorry when i when i talk about that what i mean is so the differences between the heroes and the heroines is um the hero is often about he has to go and vanquish leave the village vanquish something um to bring back something to save the village and he returns victorious and, and is changed in his journey uh, whereas the heroine's journey is more about her, her internal struggle, that she is, she feels removed spiritually um, from from where she stands in her current situation, her current village. She, she's not accepted as who she is, so she has to go and first become what is expected of her, and then realise that this has cut her off spiritually. Um, it's not who she is, and so it's about her sort of finding herself and then being reunited and uh, stronger and changing the world around her. And that is, that, that's my story, basically. Um, and the, st the story I wanted to, to tell. But it's, it is messier, and it's not necessarily always resolved. There is no triumphant return with a, with a trophy to, to mm. because look, it's quite frankly, life isn't really like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's more complex. And what I find quite interesting is I think um, it's worth saying that with both the heroes and the heroine story, obviously you can have, um, a lead character of either gender yeah. um, follow that pattern. Yeah, although um, I have to say it's mainly women or anyone who's considered other who fits into the heroine story best because they're not accepted for who they are or they have to fit into certain moulds. Right, well I think that the point is that that is given our current societal structure right so given that we live yeah. in a patriarchy yeah. Yeah. that's why it's the heroine story yes. if yeah. we were to live in a matriarchy then it would yeah. flip but it's yeah. so that thing of feeling well, that we don't know well who knows what it would be like <laughs> the magical imaginary world yeah but well, of course um, i should add that of course the men don't necessarily want to fit into those molds in a patriarchy as well anyway. but i suppose that that's kind of what i find interesting is that the thing is it, it's to do with um 
feeling that well it's it's the internal conflict we were talking about earlier that the the sort of the expectations of society you're trying to make yourself fit a mold yeah. that isn't natural to you yeah. and i think that is something that can resonate with people of all gender identities mm. for different reasons mm. um but it, again it does feel less dominant in our culture yeah. it's not you know i hadn't heard of the herring's journey until you told me about it you yeah. know um and that seems like an incredibly useful shape mm. and way of thinking about things yes um that will resonate with well probably all women and some yeah. other people well, I, think, I do think that it means that it's been quite a powerful show uh, in the sense that people yeah they could quite like that it's not all resolved that it's mm. an ongoing journey but it does mean that you get some interesting reviews people saying well it doesn't it's not resolved at the end what are we meant to make of this you know and you're just like oh, fuck it out you want to write a response piece to that you know but you, but you mustn't you have to be doing the first. <laughs> Um, but it does. It, it does mean going out on a limb a bit commercially. You yeah. know, the, you're not going. You're not fitting into a clean story. But it does mean that it permeates sort of the brain a bit more. I find that people have are left. It's left with them to to discuss and resolve themselves. Well, it's interesting that isn't it that you say that it means going out on a limb a bit commercially because mm. I feel like I don't know. You could say that about most things that feel like if you're true to yourself as a woman mm. <laughs> you have to go out on a limb a bit mm. because at the moment the context that we're living in has mm. not been shaped in that way mm. but um, i do think those sorts of things are starting to happen a bit more like mm. and more commercially like um for example i don't know if you saw the series i love dick like yes. the way that was filmed i felt fitted far more into that female gaze yeah. into that kind of heroine's journey i loved it but but it was but it did not get great reviews and it was a bit panned actually and I'm not surprised at all. Oh I see I hadn't read any of the reviews mm. I just watched it and loved it and I felt so yeah. excited oh, and I was in tears in the first episode I had to pause it to around to my husband and say can I just say this is one of the best things <laughs> I have seen for a very long time. The way it was filmed I felt female feminine female feminine. Well I think it was from what I've read about the process of making it as well it was obviously helmed by a woman and mm, mm-hmm. um, I think that they they were very conscious the whole team of kind of letting the female gaze be dominant yeah and i wonder if there's more female direct when more female directors come along or yeah. sorry when they come along when they're bloody allowed to do yeah. what they want to do um i wonder if that that will start to be in we'll start to see it more commercially regularly i really hope that happens yeah well it certainly feels like there's a there's a shift happening at the moment i'm always um, tentative in my optimism because there have been lots of shifts and lots of waves and so yeah. on but I, I feel like we're going in the right direction with that Yeah. Um, and it'll happen more I think the uh, one of the things that I've felt I'd be interested to know whether you kind of relate to this is that I found that in writing Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Volva The Young Woman Applauded Herself that my creative process changed and shifted mm. and became a lot less kind of structured and linear mm. and a lot more sort of instinctive and intuitive and scattered and messy that I would just go down random paths because mm. I felt um, an emotional pull mm. rather than, oh, this will obviously fit into my story in this mm. way. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, I feel like this is important to explore. Yeah. I wonder what's down here yeah, in yeah. this dark corner. Yeah. Um, You're basically doing the structure of the female orgasm, aren't you? <laughs> Right, but it, genuinely, I feel like there are parallels between that creative process and between the way that I would ideally experience my sexuality. So I grew up with, which I think a lot, a lot of us did, the again this very linear structure idea of what sex is. There are the bases, right? There's first base, there's second base. There's the, you do these things and you progress, yeah. and there's the and final inevitable. point, which is you know um, penetration and you know ejaculation. And, and he comes, yes. Um, <laughs> And that actually, that doesn't feel like a very good way of describing what sex means to me or feels like for me or is for me, you know, when it's at its best. That it's this much more fluid, unpredictable uh, shape (laughs) that sort of spreads outwards from a centre somehow. I'm even still struggling to describe it because I feel like I haven't been given the language and I'm trying to find it myself. But... Mm there's this kind of um this physical sense of 
discovery rather than kind of a journey from one place to another if that makes sense yeah and that kind of fluidity feels quite inherently female yeah um i feel like i need to have some conversations with some lesbians yeah <laughs> have you spoken to yeah lesbians well I, your- yeah i've had conversations and one particular woman who can remain anonymous said that she had experiences with boys when she was younger and they were again had this kind of very sort of formal linear structure and that when she started having sexual experiences with with women they had this completely different character um because partly she felt in her experience there wasn't um kind of a roadmap or a menu that had been set out for them by the wider culture saying these are the things that you do actually um and this i don't know there may be some areas of the lesbian community where it feels like there there is a kind of a set palette of um activities whatever i know that in male gay communities there often is very kind of regimented ideas Mm. about what you do and you define as top or bottom and things Mm. but um i think certainly for some women especially if they're exploring and they're both kind of discovering this for the first time there's this blank canvas Mm. where you just have to make it up as you go along and that's incredibly freeing it's basically what we were talking about of the quiet space from yeah. neutral where you go well what would we do yeah, what yeah. are we feeling where should we go from here yeah and i think it's yeah about kind of trying to discover that experience for everyone yeah and i also feel like that's what it should be like just with each new partner mm. like let alone w- what gender either of you are that you shouldn't just be going oh well this is the thing that i do She's going, well, here are two people in a space together. What will we do together? <laughs> it could be anything, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder what you do when, you know, once you're in longer-term relationships and things, you know, how you reopen those conversations, I think, can be quite challenging. Yeah, well, I think it's difficult because it's a very... Well, it's a vulnerable place, like we said, so you feel the need to be very sensitive around people's feelings. You don't want to to make somebody feel kind of attacked or, or anything no. by, you know, saying, oh, I never liked the way you did that. Can we do something else? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was shit. <laughs> um, but I, well, actually, Emily Nagoski in her, her book that I mentioned before, Come As You Are, she works with couples sometimes, but also she just ends up having lots of conversations with people and so has insight into this. And one of the things that she kind of gets people to do is to just strip back and so for example we were you we were saying earlier that you know lots of women would probably like to just have a sensual experience without having to have an orgasm at the end of it or whatever you know and oh, um, ideally just not having to have sex at the end just but not, definitely yeah. an orgasm would oh, right. be great but, but you see that's so interesting that that's the way you phrase it right because yeah. like that just tells us what we've how sex has been defined for us mm. because why isn't that sex then if you're having some kind of interaction which is pleasurable for you and where you have se- you have yeah. an orgasm at the end yeah, yeah, yeah. then surely that is sex you know yeah. the, again it's very heteronormative isn't it the mm. definition that we've got yeah. because if that were two women you would define that as sex mm. um, but because it's a man if he doesn't put his penis in you then it doesn't it. count <laughs> not the real thing but anyway she she will talk about saying you know well you're not allowed let's say today we're not allowed to do anything except abc yeah and that just placing that kind of artificial temporary restriction allows you to discover things yeah. i think that's quite a useful kind of just very simple tool mm. for not saying i don't like it when you do this but saying let's explore this other area that yeah. we haven't given much time or attention to yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i i've been surprised as well how when I've had these kinds of conversations with my partner, he's often gone, yeah, it's not, you know, mm. oh, you you are a woman who wants to do these weird things <laughs> that I'm not interested in. Yeah. It's like, yes, I'd, I used to really like it when we just kiss for hours. You know, like Aww. you do when you're young Aww. before you've done oh, anything. I, I mean, dry, I think dry humping is seriously <laughs> underrated. <laughs> I my hours, hours of joyous dry humping <laughs> as a teenager <laughs> but it is that, that those kinds of like you know well i'm sure people have good and bad memories from those times but yeah. the, the nice memories from those times are that sense of exploration i think that sense yeah. of it's this uncharted territory yeah. and let's feel what happens next in mm. this fizzing and that yeah in a real safe way yeah yeah i was reading a play the other day called freak by anna jordan i don't know if you've read it no. it's brilliant it's about uh, two women, an older one and a young one, and um, both uh, one sort of ex- having a sexual awakening and having a s- 
series of sort of new relationships with boys and then one who gets into sex work and has a very damaging experience and she's totally numb really very damaged um but the younger girl says at one point wouldn't sex be different if a penis didn't have to go inside a woman and I don't, I'm like, yes, 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 it would. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, in terms of power dynamics, in terms of, in terms of all sorts of things. It's interesting, isn't it? I wish, I do wish sometimes that, yes, sex wasn't purely about that, ultimately, at the end of the day, do you know what I mean? Yeah. What it's boiled down to. I know it's reductive to say that, but, but it sort of, but it sort of is, it sort of is that. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's what we've been taught, isn't yeah. it? And I think it absolutely doesn't have to be. That, Which is know, why, like, sex education is all about learning to put condom on a banana yeah <laughs> and it's so reductive because it that's not what it should be about no even if it includes that you know yeah. personally often i find i find that a, a positive part of a sexual encounter <laughs> but it's not the be all and end all you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i'm really shocked again whole other thing about kind of education around sex but i've been really shocked the number of women that again sort of think they're broken because they don't find penetration alone incredibly pleasurable or enough mm. to bring them to orgasm mm. and i'm going well that's just biology that's normal. why would you yeah <laughs> like, yeah um there's in in some of the research i've done there was a an amazing who was it i think it was a queen who did a whole load of research and basically found that the closer that the clitoris is to the entrance of the vagina yeah the more likely you are to be able to orgasm from Lucky ladies. Well, obviously, because actually what's happening is that... Yeah, it's friction. There's it? friction happening, <laughs> which is... <laughs> but I think, I think it's true. It's, um, like, talk, going back to, like, talking about sex when we, when we were a bit younger and not really talking about it anymore, like, the amount of women that I ended up chatting to are like, oh, my God, like... <laughs> Like, you don't have that much sex either, <laughs> or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, we're talking about it. Like, and, and suddenly it's like, oh, it's just so nice to find a community of women to like, talk about it and then start to change, start to change our opinions about things and, and, and help each other and advise and uh, open our eyes to different things. I just think it's so important to, to start opening up those conversations again. Absolutely. And about how often people tend to orgasm or not. I've got a close friend who, uh, she says that having sex, if she, does, if she doesn't have sex with her husband, every day um it's like there's something wrong in their relationship wow. and that freaked me the hell out i was like <laughs> oh my god what like obviously we must be on the brink of divorce then because yeah. what but it's good to, to know that you know people on a scale and a spectrum it's different for everyone and that's great for them Woohoo, go for it but i think for for other people that's really not the case no yeah. i th i'm fairly sure that is fairly unusual yeah. that i'm shocked by that i i i've gone to the other extreme and i'm like that's weird i think there's a problem there why are they having sex every day <laughs> that's dysfunctional <laughs> yeah yeah we i think it's good, it would be good for us to be able to sort of educate each other now I remember at school once, one of my strong... So this is the other thing about sensuality. Like, to be sensual, how important that is. And, you know, growing up, like, having very sensual experiences with um, women or men. And um, and that not being sex, but, like, learning how... What I liked. It was about learning about what I liked. Mm. And there's no space for that anymore. I remember once, I saw going away for some debating society and you reading out, like... Was it, a porn? was it porn or was it just like a sexy story? Do you, do you <laughs> remember, this? remember this? What? You don't remember you reading out this, this story? <laughs> like it's burned into my brain. So I was like, mm, yeah, no, I'm into that. <laughs> like you said, you lay down, we're all on bunk beds and you this is not going to turn into a porn, soft porn story, by the way. And you, you like re read these, st some stories to us. I can't remember what they, might even just been like slightly saucy stories in Cosmo or something. Somebody had brought some and you just sort of like quietly would read these stories to her. Like I think there was only about four of us who, who'd gather around and that kind of sensuality and it was amazing mm. and it was cool and it was nice that it was all together and that kind of sensuality I kind of miss like the ability to be sensuous with people and it not be about fucking yeah that sounds lovely I'm yeah. really jealous that I don't remember <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting actually that you say that because I've never been drawn to 
porn from what from what i've read um and from talking to people it seems like the huge majority of it is quite fake mm. and very male gazy a bit fi- um, violenty looking yeah me. lots of violence i think but i in kind of my research have been sort of looking and what i discovered was that reading erotic stories mm. erotic fiction mm-hmm. was much more appealing to me oh yeah that i uh, there were kind of a, a load hello of websites men. oh my and, god <laughs> there are a load of websites as well of just like normal people just writing stories and the, and i was like oh th- you see this i quite like the kind of the space that that gives you for your imagination and not kind of having images because i think so much of the pressure that is placed yeah. on women comes in the form of images right yeah. it's the constant advertising and this yeah. is what we're supposed to, to reproduce like. to recreate those shapes and those you end sounds. up comparing yourself i think you yeah. know like to, so th- that thing of do i look like that woman looks do i look as good as that woman looks yeah. you know rather than just imagining yourself in the situation and imagining enjoying the sensations yeah. which i found i was able to do if yes. i was just reading yeah or right so i had a very interesting experience recently i would i <laughs> listened i listened to audible every night pretty much me and my husband need a story to go to sleep because we're babies Aww. and we were listening to manhattan beach uh which is a beautiful book that's come out recently and um there's a scene in it a very sexy scene in it like, it's not a sexy book, but there's this one scene where the young woman has sex with this guy who is a bit of a gangster, but she wants him so badly. And it's just the most saucy scene I've heard in a very long time. And me and my husband were laying there in bed, just not breathing, listening <laughs> to this scene for about 10 minutes. And then afterwards, just turned around to each other and sort of smiled, clapped each other's faces with glee and just went, I'm so glad we experienced that together. And <laughs> <laughs> just hit, like, both of us were like, wow, this is amazing, this is so sexy. Um, <laughs> it didn't lead to sex, but, you know, it was to, to enjoy those things together. Yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like more of that, you know, more of, more of experiencing sexy things to, together. Okay, well, maybe this is a um, a new thing. Maybe, maybe there should, needs to be a sexy should, book group. Yeah, release audio, like, erotic fiction for people oh, to, to listen to. Just to listen to. Yeah, maybe. It probably already exists. Maybe yeah. we just need to go look, go looking. Yeah, yeah. We've, <laughs> we've been oblivious all this time. I know. Yes, but I think listening to stuff and reading stuff is great because you can put yourself in there, you can experience it without uh, making comparisons about mm. what you look like. As long as there's no descriptions about like her tight abs and tiny <laughs> thighs and <laughs> or anything like that, which isn't sexy anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that's the other thing that we've got, we've just had such a limited number of stories for so long. Yeah. And so there's a limited number of ideas around what sex is and can be. Yeah. It's just about expanding that. I really want to see more shows about women having sex in different ways. Yeah. And it being... And and some positive stories about it. Because I see so few positive sex stories. Yeah. Outside of... I don't know, the norm relationships, I guess. Yeah, and I think... Of of what I feel I should be aiming for all the time. Yeah. Which I feel like I, I aim for and sometimes successful, sometimes fail at, you know? It's bloody boring. Well, also, that <laughs> idea of sort of success and failure, it doesn't feel like that's very useful language around yeah. sex, you know? Yeah. But it's... Um, but that story, you know? Yeah, but you're totally right, yeah. But, I, but I, I think that we all kind of fall into the trap of thinking in that way about it. Mm. Um, and actually, it should just be, you know, well, that was good in this way and pleasurable in this way or not in this other way mm. and there are um yeah i think it's just about kind of expanding the palette isn't it yeah i feel like that's totally. the, the job of of feminism more broadly is just let's expand the pool of possibilities that yeah. are available to everyone that would be nice because there's part of me that feels like now or oh, i've had my wild years uh, settling down this is the story that i am that i'm tied into now and there is a part of me it's interesting what you say about being an intelligent woman and feeling like it's not about your body anymore i feel like i'm starting to come to terms with like right well that's the end of the story of my body then my body's out the picture now my body's not part of my narrative anymore because i'm not um sexually available to anyone else and um and my pleasure is 
you know, it's that, that's not the most important thing in my life anymore. Well, not that it was the most important thing, but it's not an important thread anymore. You know, I've got a loving relationship, so that's enough. And um, and I, and I'm not willing for that to be the end of my story. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> my body's story. Mm-mm. Good. I feel like that's a good closing verse. This will, is not the end of our story. <laughs> Um, quick plugs, tell us when your show is on. So, a Good Girl <laughs> is going on at the Vault Festival from the 28th of February to the 4th of March. And then the next day, on the 5th of March, we transfer to Trafalgar 2, Trafalgar Studios, uh, for a month till the 31st of March. Western, Woo. baby. All right, please come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified. I'll be going. You'll see me there. Great. Um, and I'm doing some first bite work and development sharings of my new show, Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Vulva, The Young Woman Applauded Herself Whee. at Oval House. Yes. Um, uh, Wednesday the 21st to Friday the 23rd of February um, in the Upstairs Theatre, 7.45. Tickets are on sale for all of those things now. Yeah, <laughs> with lots of two-for-one offers and all sorts. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Naomi. This has been a thank lovely you. conversation. Lovely to talk to you too. Will you sharing? Could you read some porn to me now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn the mic off for that. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs>